Hello again, and welcome to another episode of The Painful Truth. My name's Tony Payne, and each week I do my best to apply the truth of Christ crucified from Scripture to the challenges of our life as God's people. And this week, we carry on from where we left off last time. We started looking in our last episode at the essential why of church, and we came to the conclusion that the big purpose or the big why of a local congregation actually lies beyond itself in the cosmic, heavenly, spiritual congregation that Jesus Christ is building. And I suggested that this is the primary reality of church in the New Testament, this heavenly reality, this heavenly assembly that Jesus is drawing together, and that the local immediate purposes and actions that we pursue in our churches and our everyday lives all stem from this larger cosmic reality. If you weren't with me last week and you want to catch up on that episode, by the way, you can do that quite easily. It's on Apple iTunes or on Spotify. At the very least, it may be on other platforms as well, and you can find it in the archive there. Or you can go across to the website, which has a slightly simplified address these days. Just go to thepainfultruth.online, thepainfultruth.online, and you can look through the archive and either read or listen to every episode, including last week's. But what we come to this time around is a bit more specifically how this works. How does this big primary reality of the heavenly Church of Christ provide a why, or for that matter, a how, for our church life now? Now, with the possible exception of Colossians, I don't think any epistle answers this question as profoundly as Ephesians. And so, like good apprentices to Scripture and I covered that subject as well in the archive if you want to look it up. Like good apprentices to Scripture, let's sit at the feet of the Apostle and see how he does it, how he takes the big why of Jesus' heavenly assembly and connects it with the everyday lives and earthly church lives of his readers. Two quick things just to note before I get started properly. An apology for this week's episode being a tad late. It's a slightly longer one and a bit of a more complex one, and that kind of explains it. Uh, and also, I'll be saying a number of things about different parts of Ephesians that require a bit of argument or backup. And in the text version of this episode, I provide some notes and some extra kind of detail on some of those kind of exegetical details of, of what the verses mean. Probably the best way to check those out is to go over to the website and read the article. I won't be trying to do footnotes verbally in, uh, in this podcast, which I think would be a first to have footnotes in a podcast. So, to the subject. To the subject of the heavenly church and the earthly church and to the big story of Ephesians. And you can tell how massive and mind-blowing Ephesians is, and particularly its opening chapter, by the way, that Paul pauses halfway through to pray for his readers' understanding, for their comprehension, that God would open their eyes, the eyes of their hearts, as he puts it, to grasp just how extraordinary it all is. And he does much the same again in the middle of the letter in, in chapter 3. Because according to Ephesians 1, you could summarize God's plan sort of like this. It's to shower spiritual blessings in the heavenly places upon the adopted, blood-bought people that he has chosen from all eternity 
to be the inheritance of his son. The risen Lord Jesus Christ is the one. He's the one in whom everything is brought together. Things in heaven and things on earth, as he says in chapter 1, verse 10. And this introduces one of the major ideas of the letter, that the work of God in Christ creates a new reality, a new Christ-centered reality, that spans heaven and earth, that connects the heavenly church to its manifestation on earth. And this is why Ephesians is so good for us to examine in this light. Through hearing the gospel and responding to it in faith, all of God's people, both the Jews and the Gentiles, are united in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who sits now in the heavenly places, as chapter 1, verses 20 to 21 says. That's where Jesus is. He's ascended on high, far above all rule and authority. And Paul says that we are all now there with him, spiritually speaking, blessed in the heavenly places in him, or as it says in chapter 2, raised up together with him and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This, he says at the end of chapter 1, is the body of Christ, his heavenly gathering or church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, this cosmic heavenly reality keeps popping up all throughout Ephesians. It's a major theme, and it's described in various ways. For example, when Paul speaks of the new man or the new humanity in the middle of chapter 2 that was created on the cross, This is the kind of reality he's describing, a cosmic reality, a whole new people that God has created in Christ at the cross. It's the holy temple in the Lord, which both Jews and Gentiles are now members of and being built together in in chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. And a little bit further on in chapter 3, it's that heavenly assembly that Gentiles are now also members of through Christ that reveals God's extraordinary wisdom to the powers that be in the heavenly places. The heavenly gathering is a very important theme in Ephesians, the reality that the body of Christ, the spiritual body of Christ, has been created and is being built in the heavenly places. But very importantly, this heavenly gathering has an earthly counterpart or an earthly existence as well. Jesus is uniting all things in heaven and on earth Or as he says in chapter 3, verse 15, it's the whole family in heaven and on earth. In fact, the agenda of what we do here and now, our fundamental purposes, the reasons we do things in our lives and in church, our agenda is determined by this heavenly reality, by our membership of it through the gospel and by the Spirit. And this comes out in multiple ways throughout Ephesians, especially as Paul urges his readers in the second half of the letter to walk in a manner worthy of this extraordinary heavenly calling. In light of the heavenly spiritual reality that we're part of in Christ, we're called to act in a certain way now, to think cosmic and act local, if I can put it like that. And the various aspects of this worthy walk, the local earthly worthy walk, provide us with the agenda that should direct our our everyday lives and our local earthly churches. And I'm going to tease out three of these intermediate or proximate purposes that are prominent in Ephesians and that emerge from the reality of the heavenly assembly in Christ. And I'm going to do so just with one eye, at least, on our current unusual COVID circumstances. 
I want to tease out three of them. The first is that building the body through apostolic ministry is a top agenda item for the, for the earthly church and our earthly lives. Now, apostolic ministry is my not terribly catchy summary of the earthly work that builds and grows the heavenly church. It's the work that Paul himself has been commissioned to do as a minister or go-between of the gospel. That's what the word minister means. It means to be an agent or a courier or an intermediary or go-between, to be given a commission to take something to somebody else. We don't often translate it this way. Uh, We're used to thinking of uh, a minister as a servant, and obviously go-betweens and couriers and agents are servants. But the essence of their service is that they carry something from someone to someone else, like a waiter who carries food to a table, or like a courier who carries a message. Now, like the rest of the apostles, Paul is a minister in this sense. He's been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus and sent off like a courier to deliver it, to see it take root and grow, so that all who believe it, to believe in its promises, might be included in the body of Christ, as it says in 3.6. Now, of course, it doesn't stop with Paul. He's not the only apostolic minister. By God's gracious gift, by the, the gift of the ascended Christ, this ministry spreads out to a much larger web of gospel activists. Uh, There's the apostles and prophets and evangelists, and then it cascades out through the pastor teachers and the saints and to every single member of the body, all of whom speak the truth of Christ in love to grow and build the body. There's my little summary of chapter 4, verses 8 to 16. What Paul himself is doing as a courier of the word of Christ He wants the Ephesians themselves to be doing with each other in all sorts of different ways. And that might be in daily conversation, as it is in chapter 4.29, or in singing to one another in chapter 5.19, or even just in fathers instructing their children in chapter 6.4. We're all involved in this apostolic ministry together, the ministry of the word of Christ, acting as go-betweens or couriers, carrying that word to one another and to the world. And as we find ourselves rethinking our local church ministries post-COVID, it seems to me that this agenda item must be at the very top. Our purpose is to build and grow the heavenly body of Christ. And we're caught up in God's purpose in doing this. It's not our work or our initiative. This is God's work by his word and spirit. But we are caught up in it and participate in it by seeing the earthly members of this body evangelized and converted and grown through the apostolic ministry, the ministry of the apostolic word, a word that's preached and spoken and shared around in a multitude of ways by all the different members of the body. Now, for ministry leaders, this can be expressed in a simple question, this fundamental purpose, I guess. How can I create and foster and equip and organize as many effective contexts and opportunities as possible in which this word of truth, the word of Christ, can be spoken by the members of the body for the building of the heavenly body of Christ. Well, that's kind of intermediate purpose number one, to participate in the building of the body through apostolic ministry. Number two 
a subsidiary or intermediate purpose generated by the big heavenly purpose is to grow and fortify the members of the body in a threatening world. The building purpose, the building of the body, takes place in our world in the face of an ongoing triple threat. And that's traditionally summarised as the world, the flesh and the devil. These were the forces that killed us, that rendered us spiritually dead in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But they remain oppositional forces in our earthly lives as Christians. In chapters 4 to 6 of Ephesians, Paul speaks of putting off the old corrupt desires and practices of our former lives and leading a life that has a whole new character, a character of love that imitates God's love in Christ. He also speaks of the deceptive, malign influence of the world around us, of the sons of disobedience, as he calls them, the darkened, foolish, worldly culture in which we walk every day. And then he also urges us to be strong and well-armed for a spiritual battle, for our fight against the spiritual schemes and attacks of the devil and all his minions in chapter 6. And so the earthly reality in which we live as members of the heavenly church is full of this kind of warfare or struggle. And this too generates a key purpose for all our earthly action. It's to resist and persevere and stand strong in the face of all the various earthly threats and powers that we face. To help and encourage and fortify one another to do this. And to express in our lives more and more the character of the new humanity that we've now become part of, that we've now joined, and which of course is the character of Christ. And so this too is what the building work of church life is aimed at. It's to grow and fortify the members of Christ's body as they face spiritual threat. And this is partly why the past few months of isolation have been so unsettling and I think so potentially spiritually dangerous. We rightly worry, I think, about the spiritual effects of people being deprived of many of the usual avenues and means for the kind of apostolic ministry that fortifies and strengthens us. We've just been without a great deal over the past several months. And although we've done our best to pull together as many other online opportunities as possible to address this need, I think as things start to thaw out and we start to return together, we'll need to face the reality that months away from the usual strengthening effect of fellowship together will have taken its toll on some of our brothers and sisters. Some may be slow to return or may not return at all. Others may have found themselves caught up in, in sinful or selfish attitudes or behaviours, things that they might not have ever struggled with before or not for some time. As we think about our priorities in re-establishing all the normal means of apostolic ministry in our midst, there should be a kind of sober urgency to it, in my view, not only for doing so as, as soon as we reasonably can, but a degree of realism about the spiritual difficulties we may need to address as we do so. So that's the second sub-purpose that's generated for us in our churches by the big heavenly church, by that big why. It's to grow and fortify one another and the members of that heavenly church in the midst of this threatening world. What about the third one? Well, it's striking to me that the heavenly church and our membership of it 
gives us a bold and confident access to the Father, according to Paul. And he says this a number of times in chapter 3 and also in chapter 2. And this produces a boldness of prayer that should mark our purposes and our priorities. Paul twice tells us about his own prayers, the nature of his prayers for the Ephesians in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. And on both occasions, he's pleading for God to open the hearts and minds of his readers so that they can grasp and, and respond to the unfathomable richness of the gospel that he's teaching, of the mystery that's now been finally revealed in Christ. And he likewise urges the Ephesians themselves to be constant and alert and persevering in prayer and in all kinds of supplications, including praying for the success of the apostolic ministry. These two things, to be a go-between for the word of Christ and to bow our knees before the Father, to ask him to give comprehension and faith and love and hope to those who hear, this twofold strategy or these two key purposes seem as simple a summary of the apostolic ministry as I think you could find. It's certainly what the apostles themselves say in chapter 6 of Acts, the word of God and prayer. I wonder if we could draw a circle around the strategic approach or purposes of our church and summarize them so powerfully and simply. And this too seems to me to be a challenge for us as we retool and reboot and relaunch and restart and all the other re's that we are facing at present. Are the basic purposes of our ministries reflected in the various strategies, approaches and actions that we're taking? If not, perhaps it's an ideal time to rethink. Now, the other really significant thing that you're probably waiting for me to address, or hoping that Paul might address at the very least, is the prime importance of the members of the heavenly assembly actually physically gathering together in local earthly churches and something about what should be done in those local earthly churches. Surely the heavenly church has something to teach us about that. Well, this is a tricky question, and it has a somewhat surprising answer. And given how long this episode is already, it's one that I think I'll have to save until next week. Well, that's about all for this time and for this episode. Many thanks once again for the numbers of you who keep interacting so encouragingly and thoughtfully about these podcast episodes and, and articles, whether it's via the comments on the website or just via getting in touch uh, via email. It's been great to re receive those and to be able to interact with you about them. So keep them coming. I love hearing from you. Uh, for those who are wondering, I'm planning to open up the paying partners option uh, for subscription to this newsletter and to this podcast in a couple of weeks' time on Tuesday the 14th of July. And from that date onwards, you'll be able to chip in something each month to support my writing ministry, both here at The Painful Truth and further afield in the other books and resources that I'm currently working on. I'll explain the process and the implications and the details over the next couple of weeks. Well, that's about it for The Painful Truth this week. If you want to chase out some of the intricacies of Ephesians and some of the things I've just very quickly glided past... There's six exegetical notes that um, I didn't mention and are available uh, on the website in the article form of this. Go and chase those up for some fascinating things about who the saints are, um, why the way that most translations render the inheritance of chapter one is a little bit misleading and other fascinating things besides. Uh, but for the time being, thank you so much for being with me again on The Painful Truth. 
Always a joy to have you here and to be able to share the truth of God's word with you. I'll talk to you again next time. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.